So last week, uh, we began our new series in the Gospel of Mark. And in this passage this morning, we see Jesus entering into full-time ministry with quite the bang, exorcisms and healings. And so if you think about this, this exorcism and healing, that can come with a lot of baggage in our culture. I mean, aren't exorcisms the stuff of horror movies where people talk with like the deep gravelly voice and levitate and their head does a whole 360? And aren't faith healers the guys on TV with a bad suit and really bad haircuts asking for money and promising that if you believe enough that that, that God will heal you? When uh, I was 14, uh, this is actually when I became a Christian, the church that we were part of believed in faith healing. They believed that if you uh, had enough faith that God would heal whatever sickness that you had. Now, these folks were not like the extreme people you see on TV. They were people who loved Jesus and loved each other, but they, they had this belief and this church taught that. I remember one time during a worship service, the pastor was sort of calling out different sicknesses and ailments that he said, hey, God is going to heal these things in this audience. And one of the things that he listed was a tooth. And I remember after the service, the pastor's daughter, who was a good friend of mine, came up to me and said, hey, did God heal your tooth? And at first I was like, what? And then I remembered that week at youth group, I had been telling my friends that I was nervous about going to the dentist. I hate going to the dentist. And so I was nervous about the procedure. And so my friend was excited at the prospect, hey, God had healed my tooth. I don't know. I, I didn't know. I was kind of like, maybe, yeah. And, and so I, I just kind of was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Cool, if he did. But at that potluck, people kept coming up to me, adults and kids, going, I heard the Lord healed your tooth, filled your tooth. I'm like, that's how rumors start, people. I didn't know. I didn't know. I honestly didn't know. But that week, you better believe I was praying. God, heal my tooth. God, fix my tooth. Because the last thing in the world that I wanted to do was have to go in and get the shot and drill and all that. Ugh, just, I do not like the dentist. So I believed. I was hoping. Day that my appointment comes, drive to the dentist, get in the chair, lean back, open my mouth. And you know what? That tooth still had a cavity. (laughs) You're all thinking, it was healed. No, still had a cavity. Why? I don't know. Did I not have enough faith? Maybe the tooth that the pastor was talking about was someone else's tooth. I don't know. But for whatever reason, God did not heal my tooth. So this morning, I'm not interested in deconstructing and criticizing the faith healing movement. But I do want us to be open and honest about the fact that when we start talking about the miracles of Jesus, we probably bring some baggage We probably have something in our story that either makes us cynical. Maybe you've been part of churches that taught that and you were let down and disappointed because God didn't answer your prayer. Or maybe for some of you, things like exorcisms and healings are just a non-starter. Like it doesn't belong in the physical world. And so I'm having nothing to do with that. I don't believe it. But here is God's word proclaiming to you that Jesus cast out demons and he healed. And it is God's word that is calling you to do something with Jesus. You can't bury it. You can't dismiss it. You can't, just can't ignore it. No, it's, hey, this is what Jesus did. And God's word is calling you to respond this morning. And so in our passage from Mark 1, 21 through 2, 12, as I said, this is the beginning of the main narrative of the ministry of Jesus. 
Now, this doesn't mean that this is the very first things that Jesus did in ministry. Rather, Mark is starting the narrative here for a particular purpose, to vividly depict what he summarized at the end of his prologue. So if you remember from last week, this is how Mark ended the prologue section of his gospel. Verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So these verses highlight two important things. One, the kingdom of God is present. And second, Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. So the rest of Matthew's narrative is a demonstration of how the kingdom of God has come through the person of Jesus and then watching Jesus proclaim and teach the gospel. And so as we go throughout this series, two questions that we can uh, repeatedly ask ourselves is, one, what does the passage tell us about the nature of the kingdom of God? And then also, what does Jesus tell us about the gospel? So with that bit of context, here's the main point that I want to make from our passage this morning. That the power of Jesus points to the authority of Jesus, which emphasizes the message of Jesus. So the power of Jesus points to the authority of Jesus, which emphasizes the message of Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through the passage and show how power, authority, and message are interconnected. And then I want to draw some implications for us of what it means to have faith in the power, authority, and message of Jesus. So let's dive into this passage. So the first ministry activity that Mark records is actually Jesus teaching in a synagogue. And we don't get the specifics of what he was teaching, but we are told how he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So the scribes, the religious teachers and leaders of the community, this is how they would teach. They would teach from God's word and they would say, God says this. Or they would quote rabbis and other teachers saying, Rabbi so-and-so says this. They never taught as if they had authority in and of themselves. They were constantly quoting from other people. They didn't have any original thoughts. That is how men and women should teach. Not with a sense that I have authority in and of myself, but it's a derived authority. Jesus taught with authority, meaning he taught in first person. Jesus didn't quote Rabbi so-and-so. And when he taught from the scriptures, he taught as if he was the one who wrote the book. Jesus taught with authority. He had authority, not derived authority. And just as a side note, if I ever start teaching as if I have authority in and of myself, you all have permission to bum rush the stage and drag me off. (laughs) Jesus taught with authority and people were not used to that kind of teaching. They were used to the guy saying, well, God says this and Rabbi so-and-so says this. They weren't used to a guy saying, I have authority, teaching as if the authority came from him. And so they're like, what do we do with this? Well, should I listen to this guy or is he crazy? So they were astonished at the authority that Jesus was teaching with. And in the midst of their astonishment, hell starts breaking loose, literally. And immediately, There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Imagine just the surprise of everybody in the room. Here you have a guy on stage preaching with authority that you've never heard, and you're like, What do I make of this guy? And all of a sudden, a demon starts screaming through another guy. Best worship service ever, right? 
So they're astonished at what is going on. And what is interesting is a couple things. One, that this guy slipped into the synagogue unaware. Like, look, security team, if you can hear me out in the foyer, like if you let a demon-possessed guy come in here without us knowing, you're fired. But the fact that he slipped in without them knowing is interesting because everywhere else in the gospel, someone who is demon-possessed, they're known. Like either people bring a demon-possessed person to Jesus or that person is like living out in the graveyard or something. So the fact that he is unknown, he's sort of covert-possessed, is an interesting detail. The second interesting detail is that the demon outs itself. It's not as if Jesus sort of like found the guy in the crowd and goes, hey, you're demon-possessed, demon, come out of him. No, the demon was so threatened by the presence of Jesus, it just starts crying out in fear. He knew who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus was capable of. And so he just starts crying out before anything else, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Are you here to destroy us? And in response to the screaming, Jesus tells the demon, literally in the Greek, muzzle it, which is a nice way of saying shut up, and then come out of him. And Jesus again demonstrates his authority in how he casts out this demon. Because exorcists of the day would say, I charge you in the name of God to come out of him. Jesus Jesus just says, come out of him. On his own authority, his own power, Jesus casts out this demon. And here is the response to everyone in attendance. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they, and they obey him. Again, amazement. What is this? Who is this? What do we do with this guy? And notice what's perplexing them. A new teaching with authority. So Jesus teaches with authority as if he has authority in himself, and then he goes and backs up that authority by casting out the demon. And so here, here's what's going on in the people's mind. A guy is teaching with authority. He, he, he shows that he has authority. What do I do with his teaching? Should I be listening to this guy? Should I be taking what this guy says to heart? Should I believe in what he is saying? The, 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 the emphasis goes from the power of Jesus, or the authority of Jesus to the power of Jesus, back to the authority of Jesus to emphasize what Jesus is teaching. So Mark is setting a pattern here. Jesus' power points to his authority, which ultimately raises questions and emphasizes his teaching. In verses 29 and 34, Jesus continues to demonstrate his power by healing. He goes and leaves the synagogue and goes and heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law, which causes his fame to spread. And so people come to him and they're bringing the sick and the demon-possessed and he heals people throughout the night. The next morning, he steals away to go pray by himself and Peter and others find him because I'm sure there were probably more people who wanted to be healed. And what does Jesus say to him? Let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So Jesus emphasizes, hey, my mission here, my priority here is preaching. And so we need to go on, we need to move on because I have more places to preach. And this is important. Jesus is emphasizing his priority. Look, healing and casting out demons were important, but they weren't the central priority of his mission. They weren't the central thing that Jesus was anxious to do and wanted to do. And so we need to see that the healing and the exorcisms come as a corollary to Jesus' preaching. 
And so we're going to come back to the episode where Jesus heals the leper in a few minutes. I want to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 here. Because again, we see Jesus preaching, this time to a crowd gathered in a home. And many of you are probably familiar with this story. There's so, such a big crowd that these friends who want to bring their paralyzed buddy to Jesus can't get to him. And so they get on the roof, they carve a hole in the ceiling, and they drop the guy down in front of Jesus to be healed. And you can almost just anticipate the sense of like, here we go again. Here's Jesus, another opportunity for him to step forward and heal. And he looks at the guy and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's almost like one of those like record scratching, like silence moment. What did he say? Your, Your sins are forgiven? That is not what people were expecting Jesus to say and do. What is fascinating is in this moment, Jesus is changing the nature of the conversation. He's changing the emphasis from his healing to his teaching and his authority. No one's saying a word, but the scribes, the religious teachers, the theology cops are seething inside. They're angry. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone. See, the scribes are all hot and bothered because Jesus is claiming an authority that only belongs to God. And they aren't wrong. Only God has the authority to declare sins forgiven comprehensively. Only God has the authority to do what Jesus just did. And so notice what Jesus is doing. He's shifting this conversation away from his power for a moment, into the question of his authority. See, the people wanted to see a demonstration of power. They want to put the emphasis there. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to change the nature of this conversation to get us talking about my authority. And so Jesus poses a rhetorical question, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, the answer would be rather obvious to the scribes and everybody else in attendance. It is easier to say your sins are forgiven than it is to say, rise up and take your bed and go home. Because if I go around saying to people, hey, your sins are forgiven, there's no way to prove whether I'm telling the truth or not. But if I go around saying, rise up, take your bed and go home, and nobody does that, that shows that my words are powerless. My talk is cheap. And so Jesus posing this rhetorical question, he's actually setting up the scribes in a brilliant way. Because here's what he's essentially saying. If talk is cheap, and if I say that I have authority, then if I can't prove it, then it's meaningless, right? Well, yes, yes, Jesus, right. Glad you agree. So that you know that my talk is not empty, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins, rise up, take your bed, and go home. And immediately the guy jumps up, rolls up his mat, and walks out the door. Jesus displays his power in order to show his authority, in order to emphasize the message, forgiveness of sins through him. And so this connection between power and authority and message is a pattern that we see throughout the entirety of the gospel It's an important connection that we need to understand as we think about what it means to put our faith in the power 
and the authority in the message of Jesus. So I want to draw out some implications for us in light of what we learn from this passage. First, let's spend some time, and really most of our time here, on the power. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus casting out demons and healing the sick is a vivid depiction of the kingdom of God breaking into our world. See, when the kingdom breaks in, it begins up to upset the order of things. Demons, who in the past had a nice, cushy job afflicting and tormenting people, are now upset and unsettled at the presence of Jesus. Religious and economic and political leaders who are corrupt in their power are now upset and undone because Jesus is challenging their agenda. When the kingdom of God breaks in, it puts evil on notice. Hey, your day is numbered. Your power is broken. You do not win. You do not get the last word. The power of the kingdom, the presence of Jesus, declares that God has come to undo the corruption of sickness and disease. Signs that our bodies are broken, frail, and cursed with death. See, when the kingdom breaks in, the death grip of sickness and disease has been broken. The the pain and the shame and the corruption of sickness and disease are being undone and changed. Mark is immediately confronting us with this question. In light of Jesus coming, in light of the kingdom coming, do you believe in the power of Christ? Do you believe in the power of the kingdom? Do you believe that Jesus is powerful enough to unseat the evil that is in our world and the evil that invades your life? Is Jesus powerful enough to bring healing and restoration and wholeness to you and to our world? See, enforcing these questions and, and confronting us with the power of Jesus, Mark is actually asking us to dig a little deeper, asking, does Jesus have the power to actually deal with the problem at its root? See, we must never forget that Scripture teaches that both evil in our world and sickness and disease are a symptom, evidence of the stone-cold reality that our world is cursed with sin. When we think of evil, both demonic and human, we, we can make a pretty easy connection between that and sin. Like sinful people and demonic forces do horrible, evil, wicked things. But sometimes we overlook the connection to sickness and disease. Now, now let me be clear here. What I am not saying, I am not saying that every sickness, every illness, every time something bad happens to you physically is a direct punishment for one of your sins. Jesus makes that clear. That is not the case in the Gospel of John chapter 9. That is not what I am saying. However, Scripture is clear that the reason there is sickness and disease and our bodies are broken is because our world has been cursed with death because of sin. What this means is Cancer and AIDS and polio and malaria and chickenpox and autoimmune diseases. And every time you and I get a cold or the flu, that is the death principle at work in our bodies. That is a sign to us that there is sin in this world and this world has been cursed with death. We are frail and we break down and we die and we decay because of 
sin. And so for Jesus to enter into our world and deal with the evil and the sickness and disease of our world is Jesus coming to do something about sin. Jesus demonstrates his power to deal with our problems at the root. See, in dealing with the symptoms, he shows he's going after the source. In Jesus casting out demons and confronting evil, he's showing, hey, my intention is to cleanse this world from sin and evil. In healing disease and sickness, Jesus is not just showing his power to cure illness. He's also demonstrating his intention to cleanse this world from sickness and corruption and death by cleansing it from sin. So church, we need to recognize that what Jesus is about, what the kingdom of God is about, is going at things at the root, at the source, a deep an incredible cleansing of evil and sickness and sin. See, Jesus healing the leper is a glimpse of this. It's this wonderful picture of the depth to which Jesus' healing is actually occurring. Because when the leper comes to Jesus, what does he ask him in verse 40? Make me clean. His language is not so much healing as it is cleansing. See, leprosy was a name given to a number of incurable skin diseases at the time. And really, leprosy itself wasn't fatal. It, it more made your body more susceptible to other things that could, that could kill you. So leprosy in itself, the worst thing about leprosy wasn't necessarily the disease. What, the worst thing about leprosy is that you were unclean, meaning you were cast out of society. You could not touch someone. You could not go into the crowds. If you were in public, you had to yell out loud, unclean, unclean so that people would stay away from you. If you touched anyone, you could be punished because you made them unclean. There was this radical break in community, separation from people because of this illness and this disease. And I wonder how many of you can relate. How many of you have felt that your sickness has separated you from community? Whether, whether you feel like you're too broken and so you've pulled yourself away or maybe you felt the sting of people pulling away from you because your illness was too over, overwhelming. We see a man whose sickness separated and any, more than anything else, he just wanted to be clean. And in this picture of leprosy, in this account of physical sickness and broken, brokenness, this mirrors for us the way sin makes us unclean how it creates alienation and conflict, and how we can make each other unclean with our sin. See, we don't need just physical healing. We need to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed from the stain of sin and death and corruption. We need someone with the power not just to cure a symptom, but to swallow up all of our uncleanness and bring full restoration and healing to us. And Jesus instead of moving away from this guy, steps forward and touches him. This would have made him ceremonial and clean. Everybody else would have been shocked that Jesus touched this guy. But here we get a wonderful picture of the gospel, foreshadowing what happened to Christ on the cross. Jesus takes all of our uncleanness, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our corruption on himself. 
so that you and I can be clean. You and I can be set free from corruption. You and I can know what it means to be healed and to be restored. And in his resurrection, the kingdom of God declares that the power of sin, the power of shame, the power of corruption, the power of death has been broken. That in Christ you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. And that in Christ the power and corruption of death will be undone and your body will be fully restored and healed. This wonderful promise of the gospel put on display when Jesus touches this man and says, I will be clean. So let me ask again. Do you believe in the power of Christ? Do you believe in his power to cleanse you? Do you believe in his power to break the the power of sin and death and to ultimately bring healing to your body? Look, I am not talking about faith healing teaching. This is not about faith healing teaching. You want to know one of the problems with faith healing teaching? I said I wasn't going to rant, and I promise it's not a rant. I just, I want, to, I want to help us understand what Scripture teaches about healing. One of the problems with faith healing is that it makes physical healing the thing rather than seeing it a part of the bigger picture. Because here, here's a truth and reality you have to remember. Jesus didn't heal everybody. He healed some people, but he didn't heal everybody. And then also, everybody that Jesus healed in history, what happened to them? They died. They got sick again. And so, for us to think that healing is the thing, rather than a picture and a part of something much bigger, is to miss what Jesus is doing. Jesus' healing revealed the kingdom had come. And the power of the kingdom to defeat sickness and death was true. But that full, eternal restoration and healing will not be true and fully ours until Christ comes back. However, that doesn't mean that the healing power of God is not at work in your life right now. As Romans 8 tells us, we're being healed and we're being restored from the inside out that wonderful power that is at work in you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is renewing and restoring and healing your soul. And when Christ comes back, the fullness of that healing and that restoration will be experienced when we're given new bodies that will never again be riddled with disease and death and decay. And so the wonderful promise here for us is that the power of God is at work in us right now. Whether we are healed or not, So look, if God has healed you, rejoice. Celebrate at the foretaste of what's coming. And look, we should pray for healing. We should pursue healing. We should celebrate at the common grace that we have in medicine, in diet, in rest. The things that God has given us to heal our bodies, a reprieve from the the curse and sin of death here. We should celebrate those things. We should want those things. But even if God heals you, whether supernaturally, or through the means of medicine or other things, guess what? You're still going to get sick. You're still going to die unless Jesus comes back before you die. Amen, that would be awesome. But our bodies are still gonna break down. Our bodies are still at the mercy of this death principle. What this also means, though, is that if God hasn't healed you, 
if the things that you have prayed for and, and longed for and hoped for, if God has yet to heal you, that does not mean it's because you lack faith. Hear me. Like, look, Jesus didn't heal certain people and didn't do miracles in certain towns because of people's lack of faith, but those were people who were denying and doubting Jesus altogether. For those who have true faith in Christ, Jesus said it only takes faith the size of a mustard seed. That's really, really small, by the way. So the issue isn't whether or not you have enough faith, as if God is playing games with you and holding over your lack of faith over your head. No, that means that his power is at work in you in a different way. It means that Jesus is telling you, just like he told the Apostle Paul when, when he prayed for physical healing and Jesus said no, he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. My, my, my power is still at work in you. I'm still doing something miraculous in you. I'm still healing and cleansing. My power is still at work in you. Don't limit my power just to physical healing. Let's not have such a small view of God's power in our lives. So the promise for us, whether we experience physical healing or not, is that the power of God is at work in our lives. Healing and cleansing, and the same promise is true, one day, full restoration. That is the beauty of what Jesus displays and what Jesus promises. What we get a glimpse of in the gospel is this wonderful, wonderful power of God at work. So have faith in the power of God. Have faith that God is at work in some profound ways. Have faith in the kingdom. But may our faith in Jesus' power be tied to our faith in his authority. See, another problem with faith healers is they parade around making a show of healing. Jesus didn't make it a show. Jesus went out and he preached and he taught and his healing was often reactionary. Not always, but more often than not, it was more reactionary. Jesus didn't set up a big tent and start advertising, hey, come and get healed. Why? Because Jesus knows that people love a gravy train. Jesus knows that people will follow you if you give them what they want. If you give people every, their, all their desires and all their wants, boy, you'll have a huge crowd. Jesus wasn't interested in some huge crowd that wanted to get on the Jesus gravy train. This is why he often told people, again, not always, but he often told people, hey, don't tell people what I just did. One, it's because he was doing a little bit of crowd control. Because what happens when the word spreads? crowds flood. And there are times where the crowds get overwhelmingly big. And so Jesus is just exercising some good crowd control and safety. But second, he's not interested in a bunch of people just following him for the miracle, for the stuff. And he knows that that is what is going to happen if word starts spreading. And so look, it's understandable that some that people like the leper didn't listen to Jesus. I mean, if you were excited about being cleansed, you probably would go tell people. But it also reveals that the people didn't get Jesus' mission. They didn't get what Jesus was about. And so they were missing. And so the question for us, the challenge for us is this. Do we put our faith in Jesus' authority? Or are we just looking to ride the Jesus gravy train? Like, as long, Jesus, as long as you make my life comfortable, hey, as long as I get the things that I want, as long as my life is good and I'm successful, well, then yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. And so it becomes about getting Jesus' stuff 
not actually about Jesus himself? Do we follow Jesus because he's the king? Because he is good? Because he is glorious? Because he is worthy? Or are we just looking for him to fulfill some need and make our lives comfortable? Look, there is life, there is freedom, there is joy in Jesus. But Jesus cannot be manipulated. And Jesus, Jesus is not looking to just give you a bunch of handouts as if he's desperate. Jesus isn't looking to draw a crowd. Jesus is declaring that he is the king and he is the Messiah. Jesus will upset your agendas. He will topple your kingdoms. Sometimes Jesus withholds certain things from us so that we put our faith not in circumstances, but in him. Jesus puts his power on display when he does in order to point to his authority. But it's his authority that we're called to submit to. It's his authority that we're called to follow. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. He is God incarnate. And so he's worthy of all of our worship. He's worthy of all of our allegiance. And so may our faith in his power always be tied to his, our faith in his authority. May, may we trust him no matter how he chooses to exercise his power in our lives. Whether he chooses to heal us, whether he chooses to snap his fingers and give us instantaneous freedom over sin, or whether it is a long slog throughout our entire life, may we submit to his authority, submit to his power, because he is king, he is wise, he is good, and he is worthy. Do you put your faith in the authority of Christ? Are you submitting to his authority? And finally, faith in his authority, faith in his power is also faith in his message. Look, you and I do not have true faith in Jesus. We don't follow Jesus without believing Jesus' message. He never gave us that option to believe in him was to believe in the things that he said. Look, people believed in Jesus and actually experienced some healing and failed to ever believe the message of Jesus. Now, that's, that'll blow your mind. Why did he heal people? Because he's that gracious. He's that merciful. He's that loving. But don't confuse faith that, oh yeah, I bet Jesus could do this with actually submitting your hearts to his message and his authority. To have faith in Jesus is to hear his message, repent and believe the gospel. See, Jesus has won a great victory over sin and evil and death. And in light of that, it is on us to recognize this victory and recognize that our biggest problem is our sin. Like we need forgiveness first and foremost. Physical healing, as wonderful as that is, is not our biggest need. Deliverance from evil, as much as we need that, is not, as our, is not our biggest need. Our biggest need is for Jesus to look at us and say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. It's for us to turn from our sin, to confess our rebellion, confess our pride, confess our selfishness, and trust in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, to put our faith in him as our only hope, to submit our life to his good authority and experience the fullness of his power. 
a power that breaks the power of sin and death that is renewing us from our soul outward and will one day complete that deliverance with full restoration, full deliverance from evil, full cleansing of not only us, but this world. And so church, for us, to look at the power of Jesus and the authority of Jesus and the message of Jesus is for us to more and more believe this message, to more and more rejoice in this message that Jesus has won a great victory, that he has conquered sin and death, that we more and more repent of our sin and believe in him more, let go of our agendas, let go of our kingdoms, let go of our selfishness and pride and experience life and joy in him. Let his message be ever more beautiful to us that we may more deeply believe in his love and his mercy and his grace and his power. May we grow in deeper and deeper submission to his authority and grow deeper and deeper in our sense of dependence and our need, but also in our hope and our faith that he is a savior who supplies. He's a savior who heals us and forgives us and renews and restores us. And that no matter what the circumstances in our life, no matter how challenging, no matter how hard, no matter how broken we are, Jesus is faithful and he's powerful and he has proven that he has the authority to declare sins forgiven and evil defeated. And so may our hearts worship at that truth. May we be, rejoice and find life in that truth. And may that cause us to want to proclaim to our city to our friends, our neighbors, our coworker, our family, proclaim the power of Jesus, that he's able to save, able to heal, able to defeat evil, the authority of Jesus, that he is the one true resurrected and reigning king, and the message of Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. Let that be the message that we proclaim. Amen.